Good morning again, ladies and gentlemen. Pardon me while I put on my Sunday go to preaching glasses. The ones that hopefully will help me stay on the right line. These trifocals that I normally wear have me jumping to the wrong line in the hymnal too frequently. When I do it up here, it's a little more embarrassing than it is down there. Carol, if you're paying attention, I'm putting your book over here. Before we get started, that orange folder announcer I told you, announcement I told you about right here. Laco Fundraiser Food Sale Bottle Drive is October 6th and 7th at Food City. As a supporting church, we'll be helping with baked items and, for those of you who want, are willing and able, your time. You can talk with Priscilla, and uh, her phone number is in here. You can sign up in here. Now, uh, Phil, uh, Phyllis, Priscilla, why do I keep wanting to call you Phyllis? I don't know. <laughs> Priscilla will be in the fellowship hall after the sermon for interested folks to sign up today. And that's what it's going to be looking like. Priscilla, everybody here knows Priscilla. And those who aren't here, well, I guess it doesn't matter today. We have show and tell today, folks. This is Bring Your Bible Sunday to church. Can you imagine the audacity of that? All right. I want to show you. This is today's sermon. This here is what I call my dagger. It's not a study Bible. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Well, this is my dagger, okay? My little reference Bible. Not a study Bible. Smaller, but more portable. I have spoken many times in here, and I'll do it again this morning, the importance of a good study Bible, the effectiveness of a good study Bible. If you don't have one, I recommend you get one. In fact, I'm going to start off with what is my personal favorite for my daily reading, Life Application Study Bible. It is the number one selling study Bible, and for good reason. Now, mine's in large print. And it's also in the New Living Translation, but it's available in other translations. Christianbook.com. I am not getting a commission. You can buy them at Christianbook.com for a good, reasonable price. This is a simple hardcover. I'll try to pack these back in before I... Here's another one of my faves. Reformation Study Bible. I even keep it in the sleeve. That is uh, in the English Standard Version, an excellent translation. This doorstop, the NIV Zondervan Study Bible, and this is not large print, as big as, you, as this is, this is not large print. This thing is a veritable library wrapped in cow skin, or something that is meant to simulate it, actually. It's not cow skin. I'm pretty sure this is genuine mock nagahide. As Alf used to say. Last but not least, ESV Study Bible. This is large print. I love this. I hadn't used it in a while. Reverend Jim reminded me, hey, what about ESV? Oh, yeah, that's right. I had packed it away. It was buried under things. 
awesome study Bibles. Whatever flavor, color, print size works for you, get one. I recommend it. All right. Oh, yeah. Almost forgot this last one. See this tiny little thing? This, if I can turn it on, you can see the screen, is a little tablet I got freebie the last time I signed on to one of those overpriced contracts at Verizon. And I use this exclusively at home on Wi-Fi for my Bible Gateway Plus. You can get Bible Gateway for free. Cost you nothing. It's even better than a study Bible. It's got all kinds of stuff in it. You name it, commentaries and dictionaries and all that kind of stuff. For a little extra money per year, I get Bible Gateway Plus. You can do the same. Another one that is completely free that's also on here is Blue Letter Bible. You can Google that stuff. I strongly recommend either one of those, whatever works for you. Play with them. Uh, Blue Letter Bible even has their own YouTube channel with tons and tons of short little videos. I don't remember how many videos to tell you exactly how to use Blue Letter Bible. And it's really, really good. I strongly recommend it. Okay, that's the end of show and tell this morning. And let me just pack this stuff back up here real quickly. And we will get this show back on the road. Today, for those of you who may be wondering, we're in Proverbs 9 today. Proverbs chapter 9, please turn to it in your Bibles. And for those of you who don't have a Bible, we got Bibles here, we got Bibles, we got a whole stack of Bibles back there, right in, lined up with this aisle in that chair for anyone who needs them. I'm not supposed to step off camera, but I just did, because today is a little different than other days. So, <clears throat> if everyone will open their Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9, a quick prayer and then let's get into it. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for your blessing on the speaker and the hearers that your word would not come back void here today. I count on that promise, and I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Everybody, uh, anybody here a fan of... Now I'm forgetting the... Harrison Ford series. Uh, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, thank you. I can't believe I just drew a complete blank on that. Too many dents in this noggin. Anyway, uh, I think it was the third installment, The Last Crusade. They're going after what is the uh, Holy Grail. Does everybody know what the Holy Grail is? The Holy Grail is the chalice, the cup that is believed that Jesus and the disciples drank from, or at least Jesus, at the Last Supper, right before he was crucified. And... It's been a thing about in movies for a long time. Well, anyway, uh, they finally, uh, the uh, Indiana Jones and uh, his father, Professor Jones, I guess, I think it was, going through all these obstacles in these caves to get to it. And uh, the bad guys are there, too. And the bad guys, they, they see all these cups being guarded by a medieval knight. And so... Uh, basically, long story a little bit shorter, 
the evil dude goes and he grabs the fanciest, most ornate, bejeweled cup there of all of these cups. And he thinks he's got, he's got it. He's going to have eternal life if he drinks from this cup. He drinks it. Pow! He suddenly shatters into a big old pile of dust. And Indiana Jones's dad turns, turns to him and he goes, poor choice or something to that effect. What, what's that? The knight said that? Was that? What, was it? Okay, thank you. I'm glad you're remembering that. Thank you. I appreciate that because, uh, quite frankly, I stole, I stole this illustration from YouTube. So, <laughs> Anyway, uh, then they went and got the, uh, the plain ordinary cup, Indiana Jones, or was it Indiana Jones? Okay, thank you for straightening me out on this. And he drank from it, and the professor said, You've chosen wisely. Okay, the first one had chosen unwisely. Well, today is about choices. In fact, Scripture is all about choices. In fact, I don't know where this saying come from, came from, but I have said it so many times, I assume it's true. Somebody coined this phrase that if the Bible were boiled down to one verb, one verb and one verb only, it would be choose. And if it were boiled down to one noun and one noun only, it would be Christ. And a verb and a noun can make a sentence, choose Christ. Today is about choices. I want to remind you that in the book of Proverbs, we have all of these couplets. We have, it's called parallelism. Proverbs is one of the wisdom books, but it's also a poetry book. This is Hebrew poetry. In order to properly understand any book in the Bible, you have to know what genre it is. This is wisdom, and it is poetry. It's all of those things. Now, we're in chapter 9 today because I'm not preaching like I did through the Gospel of John, through every single line, every single verse. But I want to remind you that early on in chapter 1, verse 7, that fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, correct? Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're going to hear that again today. Proverbs chapter 9. It forms the conclusion of the lengthy nine-chapter introduction to the book. Both wisdom and folly will make their final appeals. Today we have choices, comparisons. In fact, the word Proverbs essentially means comparisons. So that's what we're doing today, comparisons, choices. Both wisdom and folly make their final appeals, and both appeal to the simpletons, those who need to live by wisdom, but who are most easily influenced by folly. Wisdom offers life with no mention of pleasure, and folly offers pleasure with no mention of death. That from the Expositor's Bible Commentary, which I got from Bible Gateway Plus, okay? And I'm doing this for a reason, to illustrate all the different ways you can get the Word of God. All right? Everything that you hear today from me will either be from one of those study Bibles, or from Bible Gateway Plus. The illustration I got from YouTube, 
And I even messed it up, even though I watched it three times, I still messed it up. All right. Just remember, I'm a truck driver. <laughs> Probably too much, actually. Uh, here wisdom is seen in her house, building her house, and preparing a great feast for those who will enter, who will answer her invitation. A feast is especially appropriate as a picture of the joy, fellowship, and satisfaction which she provides. All right, let's get right into it. Verse 1, wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. Verse 2, she has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. Verse 3, she has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Verse 4, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says. Verse 5, come, eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Verse 6, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. Okay, let's make a brief stop right here and plant our feet for just a minute. I want you to know, for no particular reason other than how we're going to be presenting today, that this chapter of Proverbs is only 18 verses, and it is divided evenly into three sections. We have wisdom in the first six verses, and we have Madame Folly in the last six verses, the middle six verses, which we'll get into in a minute, is something a little different. Remember, Proverbs is about compare and contrast. Compare and contrast. That's what Proverbs is all about. Now, something you should know about Hebrew poetry. Solomon here, speaking to his sons, perhaps daughters, but mentions sons, is using a a technique in Hebrew poetry called personification. Remember, it's poetry. It's speaking truths, but it's using the form of Hebrew poetry. What is personification? Personification is where you take a concept, and for the sake of poetry, you turn it into a person. Okay? But it's for the sake of the poetry. It, wisdom is not an actual person. It is for the sake of this illustration. I mention that because there's a cult out there called Jehovah's Witnesses that uses Proverbs chapter 8 to try to convince the simple, the people who don't know the scripture, who don't know this fact, to think that wisdom, and also they use prop, improper hermeneutics, they use their own translation, they've got to do a whole lot of jumping through hoops to give you the wrong impression. And it's very persuasive, people fall for it, I don't want you to fall for it. We'll cover that in more detail at another time. But wisdom is often personified here in the book of Proverbs. And here it is, what? Lady wisdom? What does your translation say? Anything different? Lady wisdom? And we have Madam Folly? Well, why is wisdom a she? Many languages... Not so much English, we do. The words that we have taken, because English is like a big old vacuum cleaner of a language, it has taken from Latin, 
It is taken from Gaelic. It is taken from a number of different languages. And those languages that we have absorbed into the English language have this quality, and we have some of those qualities, those words we've taken from them. Just about every noun in those other languages, like Spanish and French, which once upon a time was Gaul, Gallic, um, Hebrew is another one of those languages. Most of the languages, historic languages around the world, have what is called grammatical gender. Grammatical gender is not actual physical gender. Wisdom is not a real woman, but wisdom being a noun, a conceptual noun, is assigned a gender in the Hebrew language. And that's why we have wisdom as a she, just in case you were wondering. And there's more to it than that, but I'm not going to beat on that too much. Let's get back to the word, shall we? What's with the building and the pillars? Well, um, various different interpretations on that, but here's I'm going to tell you what I think it is. All throughout Scripture, it's as simple as this. The number seven is all throughout Scripture, and it is symbolic of completion, completeness wholeness, maturity, being all you can be, as the, as the army used to say. Wisdom is seen building her house and preparing a great feast for those who will answer her invitation. A feast is especially appropriate as a picture of the joy, fellowship, and satisfaction which she provides for her guests. Does everybody remember the Jesus talking about the wedding feast? the feast in a parable he's speaking of, and Scripture speaks of the wedding feast of the Lamb in heaven that one day we will have. The parallel is there for good reason. The similarities are there for good reason. I want you to know that in this very passage, we have very clearly the choice to attend an invitation, if you will, to attend a feast of some kind. The choice is, which feast will you choose? Let me ask you a question. Ask everybody here a question. Yes, I mean you. And you. All of you. You make choices, right? Are they always right choices? Have your choices always been right? Nope. You've heard my story, and I won't repeat it again this morning. We make choices all, all the time, don't we? Do you know that your choice determines your direction? And your direction determines your destination. Right? I know that as a truck driver, quite frequently, for a long time, I was going up to Montpelier, Vermont. There are other truck drivers in the hearing of my voice, who have done the same thing. There is no direct way to get from South Portland to, Ver to Montpelier, Vermont. There's different ways you can go. And I've driven most of them that you can take a 100,000-pound gasoline tanker on. I can tell you that there's relatively small variations in the amount of time it takes to get there, but significant difference in driving conditions, depending on weather and so forth and so on, and the track you take depends on a number of different factors. Well, the course you choose makes a difference. You choose your destination. 
The course you choose makes a difference. So remember, choices are vitally important. And the sooner you make the right choice and stick to it, the better off you will be. Another thing I want to point out here is that if you're not on the right path now, you can change course. Okay? If you're not on the right path, you can change course. And much of this stuff in Scripture, Jesus' parables and all, all of that, is about the path. Christianity used to be called the way. Okay? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here, you are being given a choice between the way, the truth, and the life, or that which is not the way to truth or to life. It's to lies. All right. Let me get my sermon all out of whack here because I'm preaching half of it out of order. Is everybody with me? Say amen. amen. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine, and she has also set her table, it says in verse 2. Okay. What's so important about that? Meat. It has substance. You know, there's a contrast between that, and we'll see it in a few minutes. Contrast and compare. Compare and contrast. We'll see that. Meat. And she has mixed her wine. Mixed wine is considered favorable. Choice. Meat's considered substantive. Life-giving. We'll see. And she's prepared. Whose who's meat? Whose mixed wine? Hers, right? It's hers. She's prepared it. Again, it's the female, it's the she, it's the grammatical gender of Hebrews. So she has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. It says, she says, let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come eat my food and drink the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and you will live. I want to back up. From the Expositor's Bible Commentary, it says, Wisdom has prepared a sumptuous banquet in this house and sends out her maids to call the simple to come and eat. The figures of meat and wine represent the good teaching of wisdom that will be palatable and profitable. It is uncertain whether the mixing of the wine here refers to the practice of mixing wine with spices or mixing it with the water with water as Greeks did. So just as one would prepare a banquet and invite guests, wisdom presses, excuse me, prepares to press her appeal. All this imagery lets the simpleton Now this is not an insult. They keep using this word simpleton and I think it's wrong. A better way of saying it is the naive. The one who's just going through life hasn't really made a choice. They're, they haven't made a commitment one way or the other whether they're going to choose wisdom or folly. They're just sort of going along with the herd like so many cows in the herd. They're just following the herd. Well, she's calling out to those, listen, here's your choice. Okay? Notice it's only giving us two choices, by the way, wisdom and folly, and the comparison is quite stark. She said, leave your simple ways and you will live. Walk in the light. The call goes out to the simple, to those who lack judgment, to turn aside to wisdom. Okay? Veer off the course you're on 
on the path of wisdom, carrying the figure of eating forward. The writer invites people to eat the food and drink the wine, in other words, to appropriate the teaching of wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? Solomon considered the wisest man on planet Earth, the wisest man of all time, until Jesus Christ, of course. Jesus Christ was the very embodiment of God's wisdom. Not a personification. There's a difference. Personification is a trick of poetry. It is a, it is a tool of poetry. It is a tool of this type, this genre of uh, Hebrew poetry and wisdom literature. Jesus was, is, always has been, always will be the very embodiment of wisdom. And in that way, this story that we're reading is in fact a story about choices. You either choose Jesus or you choose folly. You either choose the right way or the wrong way. You either choose the truth or you choose lies. You know what lies are the easiest to believe? The ones you want to believe. Con men from time immemorial have been using that trick to get people to give them what they want, give them all their money. Well, you know what? Satan is called the father of lies. He's the one that invented lies. And all those who follow him, who are under his submission, lie. Uh-oh. Did I just mention something that absolutely every human being who's ever lived other than Jesus Christ does? Uh-oh. Scripture says that the human heart is deceitful, despicably wicked, that there is none righteous, no, not one, that we all fall short. And apart from him who is the very embodiment of wisdom, no one comes unto the Father except by him, Jesus Christ. So, I want to show a contrast, by the way. Let's flip right over to verse 12. Excuse me, 13. Folly. Now let's contrast with the first six verses. Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. Okay, think of the contrast. Lady Wisdom. Is she unruly? No. She's very orderly, very ladylike, very wise. Her very name is Wisdom. Whereas Folly is the exact opposite of Wisdom. She is simple and knows nothing. Whereas wisdom is complete, whole, and by virtue of the name, is full of wisdom, is wise. See the contrast. Now the rival woman folly, madam folly, and there's a reason for madam, the title madam. Some of you may know what that is and some of you may not. I'll let you figure that out on your own. This is a rated G sermon. Now the rival woman folly presses her appeal for the naive to come and eat from her provision. This again is from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. 
Why am I doing all of this? Again, I repeat, so that you know you have ready access to all of this very same information I'm giving you very easily. All you got to do is make the choice, make a commitment. When you choose a direction, when you make a choice, it isn't, oh, well, I changed my mind. You can do that if you, <laughs> can do that if you want. If you made the wrong choice, I sure do hope you change your mind. But you see, part of what being wise is and taking what wisdom has to offer is not only do you make the choice, but you commit to that choice. You stay on that choice. Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived until Jesus came, until Jesus came from eternity into time and, and our place. He didn't stick with his choices. He didn't listen to his own words of God-given wisdom. His wisdom came from God. And when he took on a thousand, some on different women, multiplying wives and concubines, they began to turn his heart away from God. And in the end, Solomon was very unwise. Very odd that someone so wise could have gone so, become so unwise. And so here I'm telling you, make the commitment. Make the commitment. Okay? So, woman folly presses her appeal for the naive to come and eat from her provision. She is the counterpart of the personification of wisdom. Her character is described as loud, undisciplined, and without knowledge. Loud suggests riotous, and portrays her as foolish and simplistic. To those troubling qualities is added the idea of ignorance, which must mean moral ignorance in Proverbs. Ignorance in Proverbs, simpleton in Proverbs, as depending on your translation, it's not talking about people that are just plain stupid. It's talking about people who are morally ignorant, people who've made poor moral choices. There are brilliant men, and I've named them before, men and women of science, of, you know, I mean talking natural sciences, physics, and so forth. Brilliant men and women in, the po in political science, in political power, who deny there is a God. He who says there is no God is a fool, Scripture says. Because you're here, I don't think you fall in that category. Okay? I sure hope not anyway. Otherwise, I'm asking, what are you here for? Well, okay, if you do fall in that category, you're in the right place. Thanks for coming. All right. Verse 14. She sits at the house, at the door of her house, on a seat at the highest point of the city. Remember where wisdom was? The highest point of the city. Calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. They're just following the herd. And she's calling out. Now you notice how Madame Folly is essentially, in a way, as much as she's capable of, imitating Madame Wisdom, or not Madame Wisdom, Lady Wisdom, excuse me, Lady Wisdom, Madam Folly, let me get those straight. They're probably on opposite sides of the road in, this, in Solomon's mind, in his picture, as he's telling this story to his children. Ch 
Choices. Choices. Are you making wise choices? Are you making the most important wise choice? She says, let all who are simple come to my house, in verse 16. To those who have no sense, she says, verse 17, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Okay, let's compare this with the beverage of Lady Wisdom. Mixed wines, which was considered sumptuous, expensive mixed wines, considered the most desirable wine to drink, most beverage to drink, a sign of prosperity as well, wine is in Scripture. Look what she offers. Stolen water is sweet. When you think of water, do you think of luxury? Do you think of, well, water is a certainly necessary to life. But this isn't water, and it's not her. I mean, this isn't just water. This is symbolic. It's poetic. It's stolen water. Remember, the wine that Lady Wisdom offers is her wine. The water that Madame Folly offers isn't even hers. It's stolen. Why would you eat food in secret? Because it also is stolen. Okay? She's giving away what isn't even hers. Or at least so she says. All right? So what is the appeal? The appeal in the wisdom side is it's meat, food of substance, great sustenance, a lot of calories, a lot of nutrients. You come away from a meal with meat, except for you vegetarians, I suppose, but you get the point. The principle is still the same. You feel like you've, fed, you've gotten something that's going to give you strength. You're refreshed. You're invigorated after such a meal. But the appeal with Madame Folly is what? What's the appeal here? There's nothing great about, in fact, um, other translations say bread. Water and bread. What's water and bread compared to wine and meat? The finest meats. It's lousy, but what's the appeal? Why would anybody appeal to this? Well, by the way, I call her madam for a reason. We're not actually talking about food here. She is a madam. She's a lady of the evening. She means that Essentially, what she's offering is forbidden. There's intrigue. There's secrecy. Let me tell you something. When fallen human nature, and we all have this, who have ever heard anybody say, or have you ever said, whenever somebody tells me I can't have something, that's what I want. As soon, somebody, some, soon as somebody says, you can't do that, what does it do? Any of you get tempted? What do you mean I can't? What do you mean I can't do that? Okay? When fallen human nature is forbidden to do a certain thing, that prohibition all by itself stirs up the desire to do it all the same. In fact, it stirs it up sometimes to a point of an obsession. All there has to be is a prohibition in Scripture for some people, even 
people who call themselves Christians, and many of them I believe are genuine Christians, but who are still giving too much free reign to the fleshly fallen nature within them because we all will battle that until we go home to be with the Lord. As soon as Scripture tells them something that doesn't match up with what they want, as soon as Scripture tells them you can't do this, you shall not do this, that this is clearly wrong, they say, what's that old goofy saying that I see on Facebook so much? Hold my beer. I can't do that. It means stupidity. It means a drunken fool has been dared, you can't do that, hold my beer, I think I can. He's a, he's a drunken fool. He's going to do something that's probably going to get himself killed. He's going to do great harm. All right, so think about this. The harlot appeals to this depraved instinct in man. She invites the gullible and the easy touches for a visit. Folly's invitation parrots wisdom. This competing voice, albeit louder and more appealing to those who lack judgment, likewise invites people to eat stolen bread and water, not offered to passerby instead of mixed wine, now offered to passerby instead of mixed wine from the wisdom. The water is only sweeter than the wine because it is stolen. Much as food that is unjustly gained seems more delicious. The figures here are similar to those in the section on wisdom. The words and ways of folly are compared to food and drink. So compare Proverbs chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, and Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20. Let's turn to verse 18. The final verse. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. What is the contrast between wisdom and folly? Choices, people, choices. Choices we make every day. Are we on the path of wisdom or are we on the path of folly? Is there some part of your life that is not on the path of wisdom? Some little compartment of your life that you are holding dear. Mine, my precious like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. The ring. In fact, I'm wearing my special ring. It's not that ring. This ring has, says in Hebrew on it, she is mine and I am hers. It's a wedding ring that I bought. I've told that story before, when this one was missing for a while. And so Terry and I chose this ring. I was a lot fatter then, so it comes on and off really easy. Pushing 300 pounds in those days. The contrast with wisdom's banquet. You got that? The naive who enter her banquet hall do not know that the dead, often translated as shades in some translations, are there. This word refers to the dead who lead a shadowy existence in Sheol, the grave. There's other comments about this in Proverbs, in Proverbs 2, Job 3, Psalm 88, Isaiah 14. The verse approximates the as-if motif of wisdom literature. Those ensnared by folly are as good as in hell. You hearing me, folks? 
It's my job to warn you. People you know and love are on the path of folly. That's why we're supposed to share Jesus. Are you sharing Jesus? Are you giving out any of those bookmarks out there? I got the last one of the Romans Road. I'm going to order some more. This is the last one. People have been taking them. That's a good sign. As long as you're actually giving it out or reading it yourself, very clear. How to experience new life in Christ. Ooh, maybe I do need my trifocals after all. Romans 3.23 says, Everyone is a sinner and is separated from God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5.8 says, God loved us all so much that he gave his son to die for our sins. Actually, that's a paraphrase of Romans 8. Romans 8 actually says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 10.9 says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10.13 says, For whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And finally, if you would like to accept Jesus now, how hard is it for you to carry this around? And finally at the bottom, it just simply says, got to hold it out here. If you would like to accept Jesus now, pray the following prayer. Dear God, I know I have sinned, and I want to ask you for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I now accept your offer of eternal life. I will follow Jesus as my Savior and try to obey him in all that I do. Thank you for my new life. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. There's a bunch of Gospels of John out there with essentially the same message using different scriptures from the Gospel of John. Okay? Tell people. Share with your friends. Don't be obnoxious. Don't be a jerk. Don't be pushy. Plant the seed. Give them the word. Pray for them. The point is that the life of folly, a life of undisciplined, immoral, riotous living, runs counter to God's plan of life and inevitably leads to death. Jesus warns people to avoid this broad way. Remember in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, he speaks of the broad way and the broad gate and the narrow path of the righteous who are wise living. Okay? That's the evangelistic message. We've covered the first six verses and the last six verses, and now we're going to wrap up with the middle six verses because this is for you. This is for you. Who is it for? You. Verse 7. Who corrects a mocker, whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. If you've ever made Christian statements on Facebook, you know what I'm talking about. It happened to me just a couple of days ago. I look for opportunities to drop little seeds of salvation gospel message. 
There was a Calvin and Hobbes thing on there that I see frequently because I've liked a few of them. And Calvin and Hobbes, a boy and his, well, a stuffed tiger, I believe it is. And Calvin has this very pessimistic view of life in this about it's all meaningless. When it all comes to an end, it's all over. And I just simply made a little comment. Clearly not a Christian worldview, must be an atheist. Let me tell you. That got some, some words going. People said, you must never have read the whole Bible. And I said, you are mistaken, sir. And he said, you're a liar. If you had read the Bible, you would know that that is complete bovine scat. <laughs> to which I said, well, suit yourself, your choice, to something to that effect. There were a, a whole bunch of silent Christians in the background that clicked like, love, that sort of stuff, but made no comment. A whole bunch of them. Then all of a sudden, the atheists, anti-biblical people came on, and there was just comment after com I just, you know, I answered a few of them, but you've got to turn away from it eventually, okay? Or you'll spend your life doing it. I don't do that. Drop little seeds. I give respectful answers. Whoever corrects a mocker invites insults. I didn't correct them. I just said, suit yourself. The choice is yours. You can believe what you want to believe, but you are not free to change the consequences of your belief. You will suffer the consequences of your choices. That is the way our all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere God designed this, his creation. We will be held accountable. All right, verse 8. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. They hated me, and I wasn't even really rebuking them. Rebuke the wise. Look at the contrast. Compare and contrast. Compare and contrast. Rebuke the wise and what? They'll love you. They'll love you. What's the difference? If somebody gives you a godly rebuke, godly advice, do you take it to heart? Do you listen to it? taken into consideration, or do you just scoff at them? Verse 9, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. From the Expositor's Bible Commentary, the authentically parallel idea forms the contrast. The wise person will love the one trying to correct him. Love, in quotations, has the idea of choosing and embracing. This is the profitable response to corrective teaching. Understand me? Are you teachable? Study Bibles. Bible Gateway Plus stuff that I'm reading from today. Are you teachable? In order for the Word of God to teach you, you must open up the Word of God and read it. The more often you open it up and read it and pay attention to what it says, the more, and actually incorporate it into your life, the more you and your life will change. 
You understand me? Are you teachable? The parallelism of wise and righteous underscores the interrelationship between these qualities and shows the predisposition of those who are teachable. Verse 10, and this is the most vital verse in this whole passage. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Verse 11, for through wisdom your days will be many, and years will be added to your life. If you want to memorize another discipline with Scripture, if you want to memorize a couple of verses, here's a couple of good ones right here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. From the Expositor's Bible Commentary, the theme of the fear of the Lord is brought forward here because this is the foundation of all wisdom and all righteousness. Holy One is plural, by the way, suggesting the majestic nature of the Lord. He is all holy. In the final analysis, in the final analysis, those who fear the Lord add to their learning and receive discipline and they'll look forward to a long and productive life, not just here on earth, but in eternity. Wisdom leads to multiplied days and increased years. It provides not only for long life, but for good and productive living, and then beyond that, for the life that never ends. Are you hearing me? For the life that never ends. Choices. What are your choices? I want to ask you. Will you choose wisely? Every day, his mercies are new every morning. Do you bask in his wisdom? Do you spend time every morning in his word? Let me tell you, another way, my smartphone that I get to be in the word. Listen to me, okay? Wake up, those of you who are asleep now. Listen to me. I am not a Bible scholar. You understand? I'm not. How do I learn this stuff? Because I read. I read, I study, I put notes down. I don't have a degree from a Bible college. Some of you do. I took three classes at New England Bible College. I was working 60 to 65 hours a week. I couldn't keep up. I had to drop. Why? Because I'm a truck driver. I've been a truck driver almost my entire adult life. There's been almost no point in my life when I wasn't driving a truck for a living. I can say all this stuff up here to you because I've studied the Word of God. I'm no genius. You can know everything I know and more. In fact, I guarantee you there are people in this audience today or in the audience at home that know more about the Bible and more of the Bible itself than I do. But I'm telling you, you don't have to be the smartest. You just have to be teachable, willing to learn. What is a disciple of Jesus Christ? What is the term disciple? You know, discipleship, being a disciple of Jesus Christ if you have chosen Christ as your Lord and Savior, discipleship, did you know it's not optional? 
if in fact you are following Jesus Christ and following his commands, it is not an option. If you have chosen to not be a disciple, you have chosen not to learn of Jesus, and you have chosen not to follow Jesus. That is Madam Folly. The reason I have stood up here so many times and said so loudly as I'm saying now, and I apologize if that's bothering anyone, is because I know all kinds of people, hundreds of people that I've met through the course of my life, that say they are a Christian and are convinced that they are going to heaven. They're not following Jesus. They said the prayer at the bottom of this bookmark once upon a time at an event maybe. And nothing else essentially about their life ever changed. Those are the people who when they get into eternity will hear the words of Jesus. Depart from me. I never knew you. Those are some of the people. There are people in full-time ministry who will hear that, those words. You understand what I'm saying? The Bible speaks of people who teach the right stuff. People like me who teach the right stuff. Their teaching is good. But they don't actually live it out themselves. You understand what I'm saying? Is it real? Are you making the right choice to be real with Jesus when nobody else is watching? Because that's what matters. We can all put on our churchy face and come in here and be plastic banana good time Charlie and praise Jesus and all that kind of stuff, but if the rest of your life isn't matching it, if you're not following Jesus Christ, you are on the path with Madam Folly. You're lying to yourself. Why? Because you want to believe the lie. And that's why I'm warning you. There are lots of people who are convinced because they go to church on Sunday. Because they do a few things that are Christian-like. That they're in the kingdom. Scripture says, you're either following Lady Wisdom or Madam Folly. Do you want life? Or do you want death? Do you want to live according to the truth? Or do you want to live a lie? The choice is yours. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord God Almighty, for everything you have done here today and all that you will do in the days to come. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us in the way everlasting. That you would cause us to hunger and thirst for your kingdom and for your righteousness. Cause us to have a voracious appetite for the word of God, which is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. The word of God that cannot return void if we take it and make it part of who we are. That we eat the meat and drink the wine of your wisdom, which is in your word. I pray that for everyone who is listening. In Jesus' holy name, amen.